the reproaching, self-reproaching soul. I need not swear by the day of resurrection, and I need not swear by the self-reproaching soul. Does man think that we will not put his bones together? Again, yes, indeed. We are able to put in perfect order his very fingertips. Yet, man wants to deny what lies ahead of him. He asks, when will this day of resurrection be? When the sight is dazzled and the moon eclipsed, when the sun and the moon are brought together, on that day, man will say, where to flee? But no, there is no refuge. On that day to your Lord all shall return. Man will be told on that day all that he had put forward and all that he put back. Man will be a witness against himself, even though he may put up his excuses. The surah starts with a reference to making an oath, but then decides not to make it. This has a deeper effect than a straightforward oath, and this is what is intended. Indeed, a more literal rendering would be, I do not swear by. When this has been stated, the truths of resurrection and self-reproaching soul appear in view. There is much discussion of resurrection in the surah. As for the self-reproaching soul, various reports explain this. Al-Hasan al-Basri says, You will always find a believer questioning himself. What did I mean by this word? What did I eat? Why did I eat this food for? What do I mean by speaking to myself thus? A transgressor will go on never blaming himself. He says every single soul in heavens and earth will be blaming himself on the day of judgment. Ikrima says it is the soul that blames itself for good and bad things, saying, if only I did this or that. Saad ibn Jubair said the same. Ibn Abbas who says it is always blaming. He also says it is often blaming, such criticized, much criticized. Mujahid says it regrets what has passed and blames for it. Khatada says it is the one tending towards evil. Jari says all these definitions are in practicality the same vein. However, what's closer to apparent meaning of Quranic statement is to say that it's the soul that blesses a person for whatever he does, good or bad, regrets what has passed. For ourselves, we refer the first definition stated by Hassan al-Basri, such a pious, self-reproaching soul one that fears God's punishment and is always cautious, looking around, reviewing its actions and identifying what it desires, making sure not to cheat itself, is certainly so honored by God as to warrant a mention alongside the day of resurrection. It is opposite of the soul of one who wants to indulge in sin, undeterred, who lies, turns away from truth and then returns to his people full of arrogance, never taking stock of his actions and paying no heed to the truth. What is at the center of this opening is the arrival of the day of resurrection, but when the oath is left aside, Surah does not mention the subject of that oath further. Instead, it picks up another form, so as to start a discourse having alerted our minds to it with this clear opening. Does man think that we will never put his bones together again? Yes, indeed, we are able to put in perfect order his very fingertips. Essential difficulty for unbelievers was that they could not imagine that bones becoming dust being swallowed up by the earth could then be gathered together again to become a human being back to life. This is also most probably true of some people today. The surah responds to this sort of thinking, confirming that putting oneself's bones back together will assuredly take place. Yes, indeed, we are able to put in perfect order his very fingertips. The surah reasserts this process of putting bones back together by stating something more complex, 
which is to put fingertips in the perspective in the respective positions just as they were in life this implies that man will be brought back to life with every little detail or small aspect of his physique put back in perfect order nothing is lost however small this reconfirmation is enough here towards the end of sura we have another proof derived from the fact of man's first creation here however the sura exposes the mental flaw leading to this sort of thinking that cannot conceive of bones being put back together man simply wants to persist in his denial so that he goes on the loose with nothing to check or restrain his march he doesn't want to face any reckoning or acquittal therefore he expects no resurrection and no answerability yet man wants to deny what lies ahead of him he asks when will this day of resurrection be this question is stated in arabic with the interrogative pronoun ayna which adds to the normal equivalent of when which is ayna the doubling of y sound and a long a form that suggests improbability of happening this is in line with the desire of questioner to run loose and continue with his sinful ways undeterred by any thought of the hereafter indeed the hereafter often acts as a restraint checking the desire to indulge in sin now this person cries to remove this restraint so that he can go ahead with sinful practices undeterred the answer that comes is swift decisive maintains a fast beat and uses hard hitting words it draws a scene that the day of resurrection is in which human senses feelings combined with celestial images to produce an awesome effect when the sight is dazzled and the moon eclipsed when the sun and the moon are brought together on that day man will say where to flee the sight is very swiftly distracted here and there like lightning and the moon is eclipsed and no longer reflects any light while the sun and the moon are brought together after they have been parted the familiar operation is disrupted since the entire celestial system known for its accuracy of movement is no longer operating in the midst of all this upheaval man stands terrified asking where to flee the very question imparts a feeling of fear and utter panic man loses loses he looks lost whenever he turns his eyes he sees nothing but a blocked way there is no refuge or protection no one can avert god's power and punishment since all return to him there's no hiding place to seek other than the one he determines but no there is no refuge on that day to your lord shall all return so what man has desired hoping to be able to continue with his erring ways fearing neither reckoning nor requital is not what happens on the contrary everything will be reckoned he will be reminded of anything that may be forgotten it is it will all be brought before him so that he faces his fair requital man will be told on that day all that he had put forward and all that he put back he'll be told of what he did before his death as also what effects his actions produced after his death whether good or evil some actions produce long lasting effects and these effects are added to the account of the person who performed them whatever excuses man may try to put forward none will be accepted he is responsible for himself and it's his duty to bring together himself to the divine guidance when he himself sinks into evil only he himself can be answerable for this man will be a witness against himself even though he may put up his excuses it's worth noting here that every expression in the sura thus far is short quick versus the endings the rhythm the images and the reckoning process they appear to be a response to man's attempt to disregard the whole idea of day of reckoning and to think that it's too far off god's guarantee then comes to the four verses giving prophet salam special instruction as regards the way he received quranic revelation do not move your tongue repeating its words in haste we shall see to its collection and recitation when we recite it follow its recitation then it will be for us to make its meaning clear in addition to what we have already said about these four verses in the prologue 
we know god takes all responsibility for quran its revelation preservation collection and explanation all this is undertaken none by other than god almighty prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam role is no more than to receive and deliver it we also note here how prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam was so eager keen to fully understand what was being revealed to him taking it more seriously fearing to forget a phrase or a word hence why he repeated the words after angel jibril al-islam recited them to him to make sure he had not omitted any of it the phrase that this is recorded in the quran itself further emphasizes what we have just said opposite positions the surah now reminds the unbelievers of their love of the present world which is their main concern and the disregard of the hereafter it shows them the state in which they'll end up in the life to come in a highly inspiring image yet you love this fleeting life and give no thought to the life to come some faces will on that day be radiant with happiness looking towards the lord and some faces will on that day be overcast with despair realizing that a great calamity is about to befall them the first thing we notice here which adds to the harmony of style is that this life is described at this point is fleeting this not only stresses the short duration of this present life which is a intended meaning but also provides an element of harmony between these quotations and those of the preceding verses speaking of prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam as he repeated the words of quran in both haste is a common feature it also appears to be a feature of mankind in this present world so hastiness in the fleeting life hastiness in the recital of quran by prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and hastiness that's a feature of mankind in this present world these last quoted verses paint two contrasting images some faces will on that day be radiant with happiness looking towards the lord this is a very quick reference to a situation no words can describe and no imagination can fully understand those people are promised a kind of happiness that's unlike any other indeed heaven and all the happiness it includes appear too small by comparison these beaming faces are so radiant with happiness because they are looking towards the lord they are looking towards god how sublime what pure perfect absolute happiness sometimes man's soul looks briefly at an aspect of beauty god has placed in the universe or within man it may see this in the full moon the still night the breaking dawn the stretching shadow the bustling sea the endless desert the blossoming garden the happy face the noble heart the unshakable faith the unwavering patience or many other manifestations of beauty in this world looking at such beauty man feels ecstatic flowing with happiness flying into a world of light and purity adversity seems to shrink and disappear so how will man's soul feel when he looks not at the beauty of god's creation but at god's own beauty this is a position that needs both help and reassurance from god so that man can study himself and begin to enjoy such indescribable happiness some faces will on that day be radiant with happiness looking towards the lord how could these faces be anything but radiant and beaming when they are looking towards their lord and his beauty we experience a feeling of happiness that rises from our hearts and gives our faces a beaming look simply because we see beauty of something god has created a bright face a lovely flower a spread out wing a noble soul or a kindly deed what feelings then will overwhelm us when we look at the beauty of perfection when we are free of all life's concerns that may distract us from appreciating such beauty when we speak of life's concern we do not mean only in the world around us but also in terms of our own shortcomings and needs how do those happy people look with what organ what means these are questions that no not even you know occur to our heart touched by the happiness that this quranic statement radiates into a believer's soul why then do some people deprive their souls from enjoying this light that overflows with happiness and joy 
why do they instead get involved in futile arguments about an abstract that human minds restricted as they are by the familiar world cannot fathom only man's release from shackles of his worldly existence will give him the hope of facing absolute truth on the day of resurrection without such release man cannot even imagine what facing that truth be like this means that the seemingly endless arguments the mutazila entered into with the sunni theological opponent and other philosophers were absolutely futile leading nowhere they argued about the nature of the look and the sight on that day they used earthly standards speaking about encumbered man man restricted by what he knows when on earth so looked at the whole situation with faculties that are essentially limited in their scope the very import of the words is restricted by what our finite minds imaginations understand if our minds are free from such restrictions the very words may acquire different meaning words are only symbols and what they symbolize differs in accordance with man's thoughts and concepts when man's powers and faculties change his concepts change and consequently the significance of words change in our life on earth we deal with these symbols according to our power why then should we argue about something when we are not even sure about the significance of the words expressing it let us then look up to this absolutely serene happiness and pure joy which we feel when we try as we can to imagine that position let our souls reveal in revel in that happiness for the mere looking up to such happiness is a great blessing a far reaching dimension and some faces will on that day be overcast with despair realizing that a great calamity is about to befall them these are the faces looking absolutely grim with the sins and misdeeds casting a dark shadow over them the expectation of an impending calamity that crushes the very backbones weighs heavily on them and heightens the immense sorrow how dreadful and ghastly they look such is a life to come which they ignore preferring to indulge in this life of fleeting pleasures they love this life despite having ahead of them that day which brings widely different fates the scene of death the scenes painted so far on the day of judgment and its great upheavals and divergent fates derive the effect from the truth they represent and the quran's own powerful style bringing them alive before us The sura now becomes closer and closer so as to present a scene of something that occurs all the time indeed people encounter this most dearly at every moment in their life it's the scene of death that overtakes every living soul no one can evade or escape death it separates a person from his loved ones death moves along its course uninterrupted by anything it does not respond to an impassionate appeal an outcry of grief a fervent desire or a seizure of panic it takes the most powerful giants as easily as it takes the weakest dwarfs and overcomes tyrants in the same way as it overcomes oppressed mankind have no way to prevent death yet they do not consider the great power that deals with yet when the departing soul comes up to the throat when it says can any charmer do something now when he knows it is the final parting and one leg will be joined with another to your lord he will on that day be driven This is a scene of approaching death presented to people to by Quran as if it's happening right now it comes out from within the words just like a picture comes out of a painter's brush yet when the departing soul comes to up to the throat at this point the dying person is in his last throes with distress all around those present look everywhere trying to think of something or some means to save the one suffering this distress when it is said can any charmer do something now could a charm possibly of any use the suffering one is withering writhing with pain and one leg will be joined with another all means are of no use the road become ahead becomes clear it's the road every living being will eventually have to walk 
to lord he will on that day be driven the scene almost moves in front of us and almost talks every verse draws a movement and the image of approaching death is clearly visible spreading impact impassioned feeling of loss and panic before facing the bitter hard truth no one can escape from the inevitable end then clearly appears to your lord he will on that day be driven the curtains are drawn over this distressing scene leaving a distinct image in our eyes prominent feelings in our hearts and a clear sense of grimness in the air arrogant rejection by contrast we have an image of those bent on denying the truth they do not prepare for inevitable end by doing something in obedience to god rather they arrogantly indulge in disobedience and sin he neither believed nor prayed but denied the truth and turned away then he went back to his people full of arrogance it's reported that these verses refer to a particular person abu jahal who used to visit prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam sometimes listen to the quran he would then go away refusing to believe in fact he was neither polite nor fearful of god he would continue to hurt prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam by what he said and would try to turn people away from islam he would also take pride in such actions treating his evil deeds as something to be proud of the quran derides his attitude in its description of his arrogant movement it invites a listener's scorn yet there are many like abu jahal whom the message of islam faces they listen but turn away they are inventive in the position to the truth word of truth pouring harm on its advocates working out evil schemes and feeling proud of the evil deeds and of the corruption they spread on earth hence quran issues a clear threat to such people your doom man comes nearer and nearer and every nearer and nearer surah uses here an idiom which implies a strong threat repeats it twice aka for aqawa hence the translation expresses implied meaning on one occasion prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam held abu jahal by a scuff of his neck and used this expression as dakka in surah abu jahal said are you threatening me mohabbat but god neither you nor your lord can do anything to me i am the most powerful man ever to walk in between these hills when the battle of badr took place god killed him by the hands of muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam followers before him pharaoh said to the chiefs of his people nobles i know of no one that you could have power other than myself he also said my people is the kingdom of egypt not mine with all these rivers flowing at my feet get gods mowed him down drowned him the history of divine message is full of people who forgot god his power all those who feel their own power relying on tribes forces authority thinking that all these will give them protection then such people are taken away like a fly or a mosquito remember then when the time of death comes it cannot be put forward or backward by even a fraction of second can it be without purpose as the surah draws to its conclusion it presents another truth from this world that carries a clear pointer to god's design of human life as also to life to come does man think that he will live without purpose what was he wasn't he made from merely a drop drop of emitted sperm it then became a clinging cell mass and then god created shaped it fashioning out of it the two sexes male and female is he not then able to bring the dead back to life the last sections powerful notes and points to great truths which those who were addressed by quran at the time of its revelation could never imagine the first of these refer to deliberate design and planning in man's life does man think that he will be left without purpose those people used to think life was merely a process that take place having neither cause nor goal women get pregnant give birth graves take the dead away in between there's nothing other than idle play putting on some adornments competing for good things enjoyment that's not much different from animals 
to think that it all goes according to an elaborate law serving a definite goal and purpose that man's arrival in the life is according to deliberate will and a set plan that it all ends with accountability and requital and that the journey of life is a test before the final requital was far beyond people's thoughts few could recognize in all this the wisdom of god that he does everything for a clear purpose and towards a pre-willed end what distinguishes man from animals is man's recognition of the link between time events objectives and that human life is a definite purpose linked to that of the universe around him the greater and broader this feeling is in man's consciousness and the more refined is his concept of law that links things and events the higher he rises is in humanity then he does not live his life one minute or event after another on the contrary time plays the past present and future all connected with his consciousness they all related to the existence of great universe and its laws these are the result of a higher will that creates plans designs this higher will does not create people leave them to a life without purpose the quran put this profound concept in people's mind so long ago it was a great departure from the concept that prevailed at time it remains greatly removed from all concepts about the universe that philosophers of old and modern time have advanced does man think that he will be left without purpose this is a fine couch which the quran uses to alert the human mind to think and reflect looking at bonds goals cause and effect that lie link his existence to that of universe and to the will that conducts everything in that universe in a clear and simple manner sura cites clear evidence confirming man will not be left without purpose these are taken from man's first origin was it not merely a drop of emitted sperm it then became a clinging cell mass and then god created and shaped it fashioning out of it the two sexes male and female what is man how does he come into existence what are his origins how does he grow into this present state what journey did he make before arriving on this planet was he not merely a drop of certain emitted fluid did not this one cell drop transform into a cell mass that clung to the wall of the uterus to survive and be nourished who guided it to do this who gave it this ability then again who made out of it an embryo with perfectly shaped organs composed of millions and millions of cells when it only originated as a single cell that fertilized an egg his journey from one cell to a fully shaped embryo is far longer than man's journey from birth to death the changes and transformation it undergoes through during during the embryonic journey are much more varied and wider than all that man encounters throughout his life journey from moment of birth to the moment of death who guided his long eventful journey while he was a helpless creature without an intellect perception experience ultimately who brought out the single cell the two types male and female what will this cell have to develop into a male while the other developed into a female or who indeed can claim to have intervened to guide the different roots to make this choice in the dark depths of uterus there is no escape everyone admits the presence of gentle hand that guided the emitted drop of fluid along its long way and brought it to its final shape according to an elaborate plan fashioning out of it the two sexes male and female as this truth imposes itself on our human senses the sura concludes with a note that brings together the truths outlined through its verses is he not then able to bring the dead back to life yes indeed god almighty is able to bring the dead back to life yes indeed limitless as he in his glory god is able to bring about the second life yes without doubt man can say nothing to this other than submit to its truth thus the sura concludes with such a powerful and decisive note that allowed the truth of human existence and the elaborate planning 
behind it to fill our minds.